This is a Giving Thought podcast from the Charities Aid Foundation's think tank, Giving Thought. listening to the Giving Thought podcast. This is a podcast from CAF's think tank, Giving Thought, in which we look at big issues and themes relating to philanthropy and the work of civil society. I'm your host as ever, Rod Davis, uh, and this is the second of a series of compilation episodes of the mini interviews that I've been doing uh, of voices around civil society during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, so I've been speaking to a lot of people, um, kind of lots of different positions in civil society, funders, uh, grant makers, social investors, operating charities, infrastructure bodies and others uh, to try and get a sense of what's going on on the ground and the challenges people are facing and also some of the uh, kind of causes for optimism that people have been seeing. Um, so in this compilation episode, we'll be speaking to Claire Keeley uh, from Comic Relief, Rita Chada from the Small Charities Coalition, and Savraj Kaur from United uh, in Hammersmith and Fulham, which is a local place-based giving scheme in the west of London. So without further ado, let's go into some of the conversations, and I'll be back at the end for some housekeeping and tidying up. So in this first conversation, we are talking to Claire Keeley from Comic Relief about some of the challenges that they have found so far as a funder, how they've been responding and how they've been working with their grantees to help them navigate some of the challenges of the COVID-19 pandemic. So, yeah, I guess the you know good starting point would just be for, for you to say a bit about how the COVID-19 pandemic's affecting your organisation so far. Um, well, as, as a funder, Comic Relief, is you know supports hundreds of organizations across the uk and internationally and at the moment our biggest task is sort of making contact with all of those organizations in a way that works best for them to really understand the effect it's having on their work and how we can work alongside them um alongside that obviously we're a charity we're a fundraising organization as well we we just recently had a, a successful sport relief um a couple of Fridays ago and you know we're really pleased actually at the level of public engagement and obviously the level of, of money that was raised through that that campaign because that certainly enables us to move forward and continue to support a whole range of work um, in our portfolio um, but yeah like many other charities having to move to remote working across the organization um, and also the sort of um, announcement yesterday that Alex Reid, our newly appointed CEO, um, has decided to step down um, for entirely understandable reasons. Um, it's also given us cause for thought and and we're thinking about how best to move forward on that front. Um, although, to be fair, uh, we've had a, an excellent acting CEO in a, a Ruth um, who was the grants director um, so had been acting up as CEO for a number of months. So she's going to continue in that in that role, and um, and yeah. So is a is a steady pair of hands at the Common Relief going forward. But yeah, challenging times for us and challenging times for for many of the organisations we're funding. And and in terms of those organisations, obviously you fund a, a vast range of of different uh, organisations. How in what ways are you seeing the situation affect them, and what are the kind of things you're hearing from them about their kind of immediate short-term challenges? 
So yeah, so we're, we're gathering data on a daily basis and reviewing it on a daily basis and kind of assessing uh, all of the information that's coming in through our various staff members and trying to get a sense of emerging patterns and needs so that we can provide a coherent and consistent response um, to everybody um, that's in touch with us. And the main issues, certainly for the UK currently, that are coming out are around uh, organisations needing to reduce or it, as of yesterday completely stop their activities um, which is obviously having an impact um, on them and whether or not they can then continue to pay their staff their salaries um, and in terms of delivering against agreed outcomes and sort of activities and which is all tied up with, with our conditions of funding and contractual arrangements so people seeking assurance really about in these very uncertain times where they're not able to deliver things that they anticipated, what that means for them and their funding and security going forward. So our main objective is to be as flexible and supportive as possible organisations that we're funding and to find a way forward um, that works for each and every one of them. Um, and yes, yeah, so we'll be getting back in touch with all of our, our grantees that have been in touch with us um, over the week or so just to confirm on, a, on an individual basis what the outcome of their different queries is. And, and, as, and as a funder have, have you changed the way that you work at all so far in, in the short term in terms of the the, the kind of um, you know any of the reporting requirements or the nature of, of the kind of restrictions on grants or anything have you have you been thinking about what you can kind of do to, to lessen the load on, on grantee organizations uh, with, with those kinds of things? Absolutely. I mean, we're, we're basically taking taking a very sort of hands-off approach. So we'll be working with each of those organisations to see what is or isn't possible um, in terms of, of their ongoing relationship with us. Um, but effectively saying that we understand that, that people won't be able to deliver their activities or their outcomes as, as expected. And that, you know, when the time comes, because like many other funders, you know, we have these reporting cycles from six monthly and 12 monthly. So depending where those organisations are in their reporting cycle, when the time comes, we'll make, make a, a decision with them about what is or isn't possible in terms of them letting us know uh, what they've delivered with the funding to date. Um, but that's certainly not our number one priority at the moment is, you know, we're, we're just keen that people are able to carry on supporting um you know their their clients and people who need them most um, during this time, and and a lot of the the uh, queries coming in or, or requests for help actually have been around digital capacity and around um, helping people to move into that more remote way of working, um, and and how to do that sort of safely, um, I guess depending on the, the, the vulnerabilities of the, of the different groups people are working with. That's really interesting. Um, and, and for you, what, what are the most important actions that you think um, kind of funders, but also charities themselves and government, either central or local, could be taking at the moment to, to try and kind of address some of these immediate short-term challenges? I think we, we had a, a social impact committee meeting this morning and, and we had a really interesting discussion in that where we're trying to, to, to figure out what, the right role is for comic relief to play at this time so uh, it's really encouraging that there's so many different funders coming together uh, to work in partnership through um, in, you know, London funders is doing a great job in terms of coordinating a London-based response um, and the National Emergencies Trust is obviously doing their work at, at a national level so that's great um, and my hunch is that there'll be a really positive uh, 
response to fundraising and, and grant making in this immediate sort of crisis period. I, I think for us at Comet Relief, um, because we, we'd already had a, a sort of an idea in our heads about when our next funding programmes were likely to go live and what they might be looking like, um, we're, we're looking at the sort of medium to longer term and trying to think about the role we can play as a funder in supporting organisations to adapt to what the new normal is and to uh, be able to to be there and sustain themselves in that longer period because I mean just everything is is so unclear at the moment and it's really easy to only think about today and tomorrow and and absolutely in many cases that's the right thing to be doing but um, as a funder who you know does provide these multi-year long-term grants you know quite significant investments is working through a number of different mechanisms including intermediary funders um, who distribute money on our behalf to smaller grassroots organizations across the UK we're sort of really thinking about how we can can take a strategic view about the role that we play and how best to invest our funding going forward. Um, and that's not to say that that there isn't a place for, for crisis response funding. And certainly we're looking at our options at the moment around how we can play our part in that sphere. But but for us, in terms of our own strategic objectives, we're, yeah, we're thinking slightly more medium and longer term because you know there, there will be a need for communities to rebuild and 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 do things differently and there's a lot of lessons that can be learned from you know uh humanitarian crises and disasters that have happened in other parts of the world where we fund um and how you know we our work there has supported communities to rebuild better so we'll be looking to bring some of that learning i think um in into the work in the uk and, and the sort of response role that we can play really interesting here just because the um yeah i guess there's there's a lot of focus on the immediate short term as there needs to be as you say but also you know it, it's difficult to foresee exactly what the impacts of this will be over the medium and longer term but it certainly feels as though there are going to be some pretty significant impacts so actually even now uh, it's important i think that organizations are able to to kind of take some of that that more strategic view and start to, to think about what needs to be put in place uh to, to kind of deal with those issues over the longer term um, I guess we've talked a lot about challenges um, so far because I guess that's the you know inevitable at this point in time. But um, what have you seen so far from kind of within your own organisation or kind of across the response from the sector that has given you hope about um, you know civil society's ability to to respond to a to a crisis of this scale? I think for me, I mean, it, it's it, number one, it's fantastic. The sun is shining. I mean, what a great time of year uh, to to be having to stay at home and self-isolate but um you know it does feel that there's there's real hope actually and I'm really encouraged by people's capacity on an individual um level and also organizationally to really rise to an occasion and adapt to different circumstances and pull together and support one another um and I think that's happening in so many different ways and so many different levels um you know across the UK at the moment and that's something that we should be very proud of I think as a society you think you know just a few short weeks ago we were all obsessing about the impact of Brexit and uh, you know sort of divided communities and and all the sort of awfulness associated with that um, it does feel that this has kick-started a sort of different way of thinking and being um, which which is refreshing I think and feels quite hopeful um, across the sort of civil society and the charity sector, I, I think 
there's some really creative and innovative thinking and and you know organizations with a social purpose who are so committed and so passionate about supporting people um who who need it are are again also really rising the occasion and and I think we're going to see a lot of of innovation and creativity that comes out of of you know necessity essentially um and that's also I think a really encouraging sign and and just more broadly the opportunities to work in partnership and to work across sectors in partnership and to bring the unusual suspects together um is also I think really exciting and over the coming weeks and months we'll see we'll see more of that as well I mean it does it does kind of feel a bit like you know, it will be a sort of phoenix rising from the ashes type approach. Um, what what happens once we get through this really uncertain period? Um, but I think there'll be a lot of a lot of positivity actually, and a lot of potential to because we have suddenly had to do so many things differently in such a short space of time. It will open up a, a bigger question about well, why can't why why did we always think we had to do it this way and not another way? And 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 why you know making the most of those new opportunities and sustaining them and, and finding different ways to, to be and to work together, I think will be, will be really positive. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it, you know, it's going to be a challenging time, but probably going to be a you know, fascinating uh, couple of years uh, to follow. And it'll be interesting to see how many things genuinely transform as a result of this situation and how many we sort of go back to ways of working before, but I'm, you know, certainly uh, optimistic that we, you know, as you say, there is real opportunity to kind of, uh, shift things forward um it just remains to say thanks uh, ever so much for finding the time to to come on i'm sure you're extremely busy at the moment um uh, and you know certainly maybe further down the line we can kind of catch up and and see how uh how comic relief is is getting on with with its plans yeah that would be great and um and i look forward to hearing the, the views and opinions of all the other people that you're talking to so thanks for for yeah providing an opportunity to to share thoughts and, and connect that big discussion Our next conversation is with Rita Chada. Now, Rita is the chief executive of the Small Charities Coalition, which is the membership body for small charities in the UK. Um, And she's here telling us about some of the particular challenges faced by smaller organisations at this moment in time. Um, so yeah, I think I, I mean probably the you know the best place to start is just um, with the question of how the COVID nineteen pandemic is affecting you and your organisation so far. In terms of the COVID nineteen crisis so far, the Small Charities Coalition, as an organisation in itself, has been is not in fa- affected in um, much the same way as many of our members are. Um, it, it, the impact on smaller charities is really uh, difficult to tell at the moment but one thing is for sure that there won't be a single charity that's not affected Uh, the biggest fears that most of our members have is we did a survey last week and about 70% of our members think that they've only got six months at the most in terms of um, an income window before they'll have to make some dramatic um, take some dramatic um, action so so yeah in terms of the sort of key challenges over the coming months for organizations is it essentially just that kind of short-term need for for funding that's that's the one that's looming largest in everybody's minds 
I think we have to be careful that funding is a huge part of uh, the current crisis facing uh, smaller charities in particular, but actually it's not the only crisis. There is, after announcements about hubs being created, a real challenge about what's the role of small charities in the emergency response um, system as well. So where we have got smaller charities, two thirds of whom work at the very local, very hyper-local uh, borough and ward level, how are they going to be included in the emergency response? They've got a whole load of volunteers, a whole load of assets to bring into that, but are local authorities going to allow them in? How is this going to be structured and organised? And I think that's a real concern for some of our members. Going forward, there's also the, the stuff that local authorities often go to these very same small charities and ask for information and intelligence on who is it that's vulnerable in their communities. We all know from austerity that local authorities are only able to prioritise at the moment those that they have a statutory duty to. The people that are kind of just on the edges of that are often dealt with by the voluntary sector. So if local councils aren't talking now to these smaller charities, they're going to miss out and they're going to make up the situation a whole lot worse for a whole group of other vulnerable people. That's really interesting. And so are you sort of concerned that in some of the responses so far, even if they are you know, really positive in themselves, there's a danger that in the desire to kind of get money out at scale quickly, they won't necessarily get it down to that lowest level and to the organisations that are really kind of working closely with communities then? That's my huge concern, that in this panic that we've got going on in the discussions at the moment, that everyone's focused on charities in, in the whole staying afloat. And that's absolutely right. We don't want to see a single charity, large, small, local, national, anyone fold. But the problem is that where is the acute need and where is it going to be? And the, the other challenge is government seems to be very clear that actually volunteer organisations, volunteering uh, groups and self-help groups are the answer to this. They've repeatedly given out that message. That's not the only answer because those volunteering and self-help groups only have a short shelf life. And what we've got to consider is what's going to be there to pick up communities afterwards, but also who's best placed to deliver some of these response issues at the moment. Yeah, you, you mentioned there about the the sort of the question of afterwards. And, and again, I think that's that's really interesting because obviously there's a lot of focus quite rightly on the immediate here and now. And there's there's plenty of challenges for people to be dealing with. But, you know, what what already do you think are some of those kind of medium and longer term challenges that are going to be facing small charities once we get beyond this this immediate um, kind of uh, crisis point in the pandemic? Well, I think the, the issues that small charities in particular need to start thinking about at the moment is... Uh, um, collaboration, alliances and mergers. If they don't start having those discussions at the moment, they're going to hit a wall. And I know it sounds foolhardy because everyone's in panic mode at the moment, but our big focus is one eye on the present and one eye on the future. And they've got to start thinking now about when they come out of this, what's the beneficiary landscape going to look like? How is it going to be different for the services and the support that they're traditional beneficiary group works with now but also they're going to have diminished resources without a shadow of a doubt how are they going to adapt to that situation and for so many of the smaller charities it's been uh, the assumption from what we've seen on our help desk and queries to us is we're going to have to close and I think we have to be careful before we think about closure as the only option for a lot of charities. There are other ways out, but we need to have a culture change to be able to explore those 
And we need to be able to have those discussions now before people get too disillusioned with the whole issue. And actually, you start to see people just walking away from it, which will make the whole situation a lot worse. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And I guess you you said a bit there about kind of what charities themselves could be doing in terms of actions, you know, immediately, but also to prepare for for the longer term. I mean, what what to your mind are the most important things that you know government at a central and local level or funders within within the voluntary sector could be doing to kind of you know manage those short term issues and and prepare for the longer term? I think funders have shown outstanding leadership for the most part. Uh, we've seen, you know, a huge number of funders come together under London funders and galvanise and say, look, we understand the situation. We're not going to make you jump through hoops uh, with your current funding arrangements. Come and talk to us. And I think that's really, really to be applauded and welcome. I think with government, it's as you deal with any large bureaucracy, it's a piecemeal approach. So whilst Initially, we were all really heightened by uh, the Rishi um, statement on uh, um, on Friday. It only takes us so far. And actually, it helps the larger charities or those with public-facing service contracts or trading arms. Um, the smaller charities are still going to be, you know, it's, it's, it's a different way of working at the at the smaller level than it is at the national level um and we've got to just be mindful of that i think as well so i think the ask of government is to have as much flexibility as the funders have um they've just issued some procurement guidance which uh, allows for that but actually it's got to be a culture change in the way government thinks at the moment that understands that they've got to have a much more pragmatic approach um, to their, their understanding of charities. And they've also got to understand, broaden and deepen their understanding of charity. Amen to that, absolutely. Um, and on that point you were making there about some of the the, um, the the new measures announced by Rishi Sunak on on Friday around kind of employment um, guarantees and wage guarantees, not necessarily getting down to small charities. Is, is that because uh, so many of them are kind of reliant on almost entirely voluntary uh, staff or, or kind of voluntary resources so that employment protections like that don't necessarily help them in the way that other resources might? I mean, most small charities will have, from our definition of our membership, when we did the survey um, on what the immediate needs were in this crisis, um, the average number of employees that an organisation had was one or two. Um, three at the very most. And actually, when you're in that small bracket, um, it's much more difficult to not have volunteers backing you up and supporting you. But those volunteers still need help in being organised, in being checked, in being guided, in being supported to deliver those services. And so, yes, you can keep one post in place, but if at the same time, that post isn't able to uh, um, deliver or network with other posts to actually deliver uh, the best outcomes for beneficiaries, then actually it becomes redundant. So there's two things. There's the funding to carry on working, but there's also can you physically and can you pragmatically actually deliver any type of service at the moment? Yeah, that's that's really interesting as a point. Um, and I guess, you know, a, a lot of the stuff we talked about, there is a lot of genuine cause for concern kind of across the, the sector and, and more broadly in society at the moment. Everybody's a lot of uncertainty and, and worry. I mean, what have you seen so far on a more positive note that gives you hope about, you know, the, the role that small charities and kind of civil society organisations are, are going to be playing to help us get through this? I've got to admit, in all the years I've worked, I've never seen such unity in amongst small charities. I'm absolutely stunned 
at how people, when we've um, put out a request for information, we've been absolutely inundated. Um, we got we put out a survey on Monday on day one for us of, of the whole crisis, and we got uh, around 580 responses in 24 hours. Um, now we've always had an engaged membership, but actually the level of discussion, um, the level of of kind of commitment is actually been, I think, awe-inspiring. I'll give you one quick example. Uh, when we put out the, we wrote a letter to the Prime Minister and then we asked all our members to sign up. And when we first drafted, we've deliberately kept the letter very short and we've said to members, we're keeping it short because we don't want to get into semantics or politics, but we want to raise and make sure that government recognises there's a discussion to be had with small charities. And we must have sent that out to about 7,000 um, organisations. We only got two complaints um, from people who said, actually, we're not too happy with the wording on this. But on the second day, one of those organisations emailed back and said, do you know what? I've had a, just had a discussion with government. Go for it, because their uh, response was absolutely appalling. And I think moments like that just make you think, actually, even if people disagree with you at this moment in time, they're thinking about what is right for their situation, and we need to respect that. So I think there's the amount of the level of corporate support that's come through is absolutely been staggering. Um, and actually, in some ways, the corporates have been easier to work with because they can run with an idea. They've got resources to pitch and support the small charities. So actually, it's reinvigorated my faith in the corporate sector, which I never thought I'd say. Well, that's certainly a silver lining there. Um, listen, thanks ever so much for, for finding the time to, to come on, Rita. It's really uh, great to be able to talk to you. Um, is, is there anything else that we've not, not said so far that you'd kind of like to, to leave people with? Um, I think the only thing to say is small charities matter. Small charities can help part, as part of the current crisis, but they can also, and they are necessary for the future as well. Great. Thanks ever so much. Brilliant. Thank you. Good luck with it all. Stay safe. And then finally, we have Savraj Kaur. Uh, Savraj is the chief executive of United in Hammersmith and Fulham, uh, which is a place-based giving scheme in the west of London. And she's here telling us about how they've been responding to the COVID-19 pandemic so far, kind of galvanising local support for small organisations on the ground working on the response to the pandemic and others who were affected by it uh, and what that response has been like. So, yeah, I mean, the first one, I guess, is just just to say a bit about how the, the COVID-19 pandemic's affecting you and your organisation so far. Yeah. Um, so the, the whole idea behind our organisation is um, that we're a place-based giving scheme. So it's actually um, just proven our worth, if anything. So what we do is we encourage local people to give to the local um, causes in need, and that's and we've been running for about 18 months. So that's that's the kind of general principle of how we work. So once this um, this all happened, it was um, we were best placed to manage uh, local giving so people can give to a pot and then get that out to the community networks who we know very well and, um, and make sure that they have their gaps in funding filled where best possible. And, and what's the response been like from, from local residents so far? Positive. So we started with um, an appeal. Um, that was the first thing we did. Obviously, money is the first thing everything, everyone's worried about. Um, so we have a £50,000 target 
And bear in mind, it's Hammersmith and Fulham. It's a small borough in West London. Um, we've reached £30,000 almost of that target in six days. So um, super positive response from people. Um, I think uh, a lot more people want to give their time. And that's a little bit harder to um, manage. Um, but the council has, has been good with setting up a coordinated response um, on that side of things. Great. Um, that's really encouraging to hear. Um, in, in terms of the organisations you're working with to get the money out, I mean, how are you seeing the situation affect uh, them and what, what are the things that are kind of most, you know, concerning them at the moment? Yeah, um, so I can give you uh, an example from today. I had a phone call with someone who we usually fund uh, to run a once a week, uh, essentially like a soup kitchen um, with a bit more kind of fun <laughs> fun involvement. Um, so they usually have like a musician there. And it's like a super community uh, soup kitchen, really. That's how I'd explain it. What they've had to do is obviously shut the kitchen um, that serves people um, in the community hall and turn that into a seven-day-a-week delivery service. So they've gone from one day a week in one place to having to call out for drivers, volunteers are using their own kind of petrol money. Um, so it's it's expensive. They have to find more people. They have to make more food. So it's it's almost like everything has just blown up. Um, but the most amazing thing is that they're ready to go. They know they know their purpose, and that's why they exist. So it's just seeing that enthusiasm and, and seeing them drive through whilst they still don't know how much, how much it's going to cost them, how long this is all going to go on for. They just know it's going to happen. Yeah. Absolutely. And what, what, what for you, to you do you think are going to be the, the biggest challenges for organisations, you know, like them and, and others over the coming months? I think it's just uncertainty all round what's available, what help is available, uh, what's going to happen with the virus itself how much this is going to blow up even further. We just don't know. There's so many unknowns. I think that's, that's the main challenge. It's about being able to pay people, being able to you know, run an organisation that has to be remotely delivering things and then also look after your children at home. There's, there's so many things happening at once. It's almost like hard to, hard to just put it into one sentence. Yeah, absolutely. I know it's. I mean, listen, yeah. as you say, it's kind of it's hard to to remember that it's only just over a week so, since this whole thing really sort of kicked off in in a in a massive way, and everybody's having to adapt incredibly quickly. Um, I mean, what to to you? What are the most um, important things? You know, given some of those challenges that you think you know, government, whether that's central government, local government, funders, uh, foundations, and others, and charities, you know, and civil society groups themselves could be doing. Um, definitely working together. So, uh, what I think the last thing we want is like duplication of of anything, uh, where we could all see how we could collaborate best um, and make sure that we all, we're all talking to each other. I think in any kind of disaster response scenario is is key, and using local knowledge as well. So, um, you know, as much as uh, funders or or institutions might think they know what's best, um, you know, using local knowledge from the ground up is really vital absolutely um, and and just sort of uh, finally i mean what have you you know there's a lot there's a lot of concern and worry at the moment but what have you seen so far in in your work that gives you hope about you know what what how we're going to face up to the challenges over the coming months almost like an overwhelming uh, amount of just offer, offerings of help um, people are keen 
uh, I think that energy will, it will, you know, the momentum will, will just remain like that for a long time. I don't think this is, this is kind of like, you know, is this going to be like everyone's offering to help in the first week and then week five was kind of like, <laughs> we're going to lose people. I really think this is, it just shows the strength in community and uh, whether it's financially or giving time or just being there or um, sharing and, um, you know, putting cards through letterboxes if anyone needs help. I think it's just seeing this overwhelming amount of um, people wanting to, um, you know, chip in in whatever way they can. I think that's really positive. I just really want to make sure I say a big thank you to everyone. So, you know, you know it's just amazing what's happened in, in so few days. And it is encouraging that the community is seeing each other with fresh eyes for the first time, maybe ever in, in their generation. So I think it's, it's really heartwarming to see everyone pull together. Yeah, and I think that's you know something we're we're all seeing everywhere around the country the kind of the the strength of of community and people kind of uh, either showing those neighbourly values or rediscovering them, which is is really encouraging, as you say. Um, thanks ever so much for for taking the time to to come on the podcast, and I'm uh, you know really grateful, and I certainly wish you all the best in in terms of kind of hitting your fundraising target and, and getting that money out to to where it's needed. Thank you, thank you so much. Okay, great. Uh, well, my thanks again to Claire and to Rita and to Savraj for taking the time to come on the podcast. I know everybody is extremely busy at the moment, so I do really appreciate people taking the time out to give some thoughts. Um, I'll put links in the show notes to places where you can get some more information about what's going on on a day-to-day basis uh, with the COVID-19 pandemic and how it's affecting civil society. Um, if you're interested more broadly in issues around civil society and philanthropy, do check out the Giving Thought pages at the CAF website. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Rodri underscore H underscore Davis um, or at Philiteracy if you want stuff that's more on kind of literary and historical things about philanthropy. Um, if you've got ideas for things we could be talking about on the podcast, people we could be speaking to either now or in the future, uh, drop us a line at givingthought at cafonline.org. Other than that, just like, subscribe, uh, tell all your friends about it. Please share around and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.